Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety. This week's guest is John Andrew Frederick of The Black Watch. Their career spans over 30 years. The discography contains over 18 albums, and John has written four novels. He might be the most prolific writer we've ever featured. Check out his site, johnandrewfrederick.com, and The Black Watch on Instagram. Follow us at PerformanceANX on Instagram and Twitter. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us out a lot. You can always pick up merch at performanceanx.threadless.com. Here's John Andrew Frederick on Performance Anxiety. Hi, this is John Andrew Frederick from The Black Watch, and you're listening to Performance Anxiety with Mark Shea. Yes, thanks. Oh, perfect, perfect. All right, well, hey, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Mark. That's great. Terrific. All right. Where are you calling from? I'm from Winchester, Virginia. Oh, nice. So I, I don't. Know, I was born in Richmond, but I don't know that I've heard of Winchester. Oh, Is the home of Patsy Cline. No, it's uh, probably four hours uh, northwest. Okay. It's uh, yeah, the home of Patsy Cline. Oh, it is. Okay, all right. So yeah, so it's it's a beautiful little town. It's uh, very Rockwellian. Oh wow! Yeah, it's, that's nice. It's so it's something of a secret. A little bit, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, uh, I'd, I'd say it's a town of about sixty thousand. It's right outside of Northern Virginia, so uh, we get a lot of people commuting to DC from Winchester. But it's a kind of a long commute, but they, they still do it because it's cheaper yeah, to live sure. out there, out here than in DC. Is there a university there? Uh, the Shenandoah University. That's uh, that's right in Winchester. Uh, West Virginia is not too far away. No. Uh, we're, yeah, we're actually right on the border of the state. And then West Virginia University isn't too far. Shepherd is close by. So, yeah, we've got some. JMU is about an hour and a half south of us. Okay, yeah, I know JMU. Yeah, yeah. My daughter's thinking yeah. about going there for college in two years. Preppy, sporty. I know. I know somebody who played on the women's tennis team. She was really sweet, very cool person. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my, yeah. one of my best friends went to JMU. So it's uh, I, we, my kids go down there. They're in marching band. They have a competition there every year. So I'm always heading down to JMU and uh, sitting in the stands watching a ton of marching bands perform. 
Well, you know, <laughs> sounds a bit brassy, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it is very. I got a trumpet player. Yeah, I'm sure player. by the end of the day, you don't want to listen to any music at all. Uh, you would think so. I'm I'm a glutton for punishment, though, man. I love I I just love listening to well, all kinds of music. You no, know, there's a reason why that's you know why marching bands carry on as they do, and um, why they're asked to play half times and to you know rally the troops for big time college football etc just you know it's I, it, it's kind of a it's sort of a cool thing i was in one oh, yeah. I, you know when i was in junior high i was a drummer so oh, nice. i was awfully you know get to, to get to play stuff like hawaii 50 <laughs> Absolutely, you know, we thought we were so cool. Oh yeah, yeah, my, my play kid. songs like that and uh, stuff. My kids are doing the same thing right now. It's it's funny because now that they're, they're picking out um, you know, current hits and and uh, arranging them for a marching band, like Panic at the Disco and all kinds of of new new music and they're uh they're doing performances like a three or four song performance and they're in- including the brand new music in it it's not the same old uh no it's not your crazy. grand's uh marching band <laughs> these days you know well i mean i guess i might have might have started in the 70s with the setting you know the stanford band the notorious stanford band setting the precedent for you know, misbehavior and mockery and um you know, irreverence and shenanigans and stuff but they must have started off by doing you know maybe iron butterflies in a god of Vida or stuff like you know stuff like that that just would have would have shocked the Shock the socks and turtlenecks off of those early <laughs> '70s crowds and stuff. The penny loafers. Oh my yeah. gosh! That yeah, that would have been something to behold at that time. Sure thing. <laughs> well, thank you again for coming on. I mean, I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. You've uh, you put out quite a body of work, and and not just in music. So I was in doing the research. I was really blown away by everything that you've created. I mean. How much was it? Is it 31 years in music? So that's, or is it 32 now? 31, 32? And it's. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not great with numbers. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's by design in yeah. some ways. Cause you don't, you know, math is rarely my friend, especially when you want to start tallying these, oh. these things. I ran into a, a drummer from, an, uh, from Los Angeles the, the other week and, he asked me if we were still putting out records. Like, you know, he's not in the indie genre. It was more of a punk person. Oh, okay. And he, he kind of, he sort of, you know, came up with a trope for it by saying, you are, you guys have been around forever. Elongating <laughs> syllable as if to, in some ways to make it mimetic that, you know, <laughs> that, that in just stretching that word out, it, it would be evocative of how long we've been a band. So, Yes, that's, it's indeed true. But yes, so I think 31 years now is the title of the the best of compilation that's coming out with Magic Johnson, the new record. Right. Um, and then, you know, I don't know how many years, you know, as a as a writer of fiction, because um, I think all of those apprentice years that, um, you know, I spent, I mean, I, I think I went to, I, I wrote my first novel when I was in, um, when I was, 15 or something at lunch having transferred schools to this very preppy school um you know an hour and a half south of where i grew up in santa barbara with no friends at all until i joined the basketball team as a sophomore but i think as a freshman i wrote a a, about a 200 page 
longhand novel in the library just because I wow. just wasn't on a team. I wasn't cool. I was a new kid. And, um, you know, thankfully that's, that's in a trunk some, <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> in an attic somewhere. Oh my so, God. Yes, I've, you know, I've been an artist. I've been an artist for a long time. Yes, you're right. And so the band is um, released what eighteen albums now? Include if you include that that. Comp- I've lost count, Mark. I think yeah. I think this this might be the seventeenth. Magic Johnson might be the seventeenth record. It might be the eighteenth record. I don't know. <laughs> and then you've released four. Is it four novels? Um, yeah, I've written four works of comic fiction and one book on Wes Anderson. That's the early films of Wes Anderson. Wow. Which is weird because when I finished my. PhD dissertation. I went to UC Santa Barbara for nine years. I always jest when people you know, learn that I'm, you know, a gaucho and stuff. I always say, "Yeah, you know, best nine years of my life." And they <laughs> think that, you know, in this, you know, characteristically slackerish kind of way. And people do have a tendency to hang on there. That it took me nine years in some, you know, Lebowski, Lebowski, Spicoli esque kind of way, you know, to get a to get a bachelor's degree. But and when I finished my my dissertation in English literature, I swore I would never, ever write about anybody else's stuff. And lo and behold, 25 years later, I, I, I've been teaching, you know, writing about film. And I love those first three Wes Anderson pictures. And I just ended up writing, writing, you know, converting my lectures and thoughts into a book on Wes Anderson. So never say never, you know, and I swore I'll never do anything. I'll become an artist or, you know, or bust as it were. You know, yeah. Just the one thing you can take away from that, and just going, don't ever say, "I'll never do that again." I'll never talk to him again. I'll never, et cetera, et cetera. We, you know, the mere fact is, philosophically, practically, we don't know what we'll do. Exactly, so, and, and yeah. saying that it usually comes around to bite you in the rear, anyway. So, yeah. You know, you started releasing albums in the late '80s, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a dream pop shoegaze sound, and that's kind of the, the sound you've you've kept. What is the draw for you in that genre, as opposed to just like a pure pop form or something heavier, like when My Bloody Valentine kind of ended up going into Loveless and creating the whole real heavy shoegaze sound? Well, you know, certainly I, I would say that I, that we've been much more influenced by the late period, um, the early late period of My Bloody Valentine before isn't anything came out and certainly in the isn't anything record more than the loveless record of you know as much as we their you know collection of songs i i like isn't anything much better and um strawberry wine the ep they did before that that was still heavily under the influence of the birds with 12 string yeah. guitars jangling yeah. along that that spoke to us in ways that i think were and moreover you know any conscientious artist unless you're just you know, super naive and or gormless somehow. You know, you don't want to try to sound, you might want to, you know, pay homage to the people that you love, but, you know, we love the Beatles first and foremost, but we certainly don't want to try to sound like them. It's just one of those inevitabilities if you have two guitars, bass and drums, and try to write very melodic songs with some harmonies and 
choruses and occasional bridges. So there you go. But yeah, my bloody Valentine's a huge influence, but just as I would, if somebody said to me, you know, what I, I, I write songs, I have to have a band. I'd say, do everything you can to mask those influences. It takes years to, to do that. And, you know, especially in someone's voice, right. um, you've got, you've got to try to, you've got to try to disguise that, or I guess maybe slavishly, you know, guilelessly just go ahead and, you know, and, and do that. Many's the band that just, they don't care that they're, you know, a, there's a band from Austin called Ringo Death Star that sounds, you know, like, a, you, you know them, you know, oh, you're yeah. shaking your head. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, they're a blueprint. And I thought the same thing in some ways of um, the pains of being uh, pure at heart. You know, there, that's another band that's, you know, that gosh, uh, just uh, if you mixed in some of their stuff in with a track um, from My Bloody Valentine, or Velocity Girl, or any of those other kind of jangly bands from the '90s. Shoot, it'd be hard to tell that it wasn't, you know, an outtake by them somehow. But that's not our motif at all, and we try to we, we try to disguise it. Not always successfully, of course. So let's not be let's not be disingenuous here. You know, not always successfully, but that's really what art is. You know, an experiment, you know, perpetual. So, what made you get into? Uh, Music. How did you get the uh, the band together, the Black Watch? How did that come to to fruition to begin with in, in okay. the eighties? Well, I'd, having having finished my PhD, I started writing a novel again, and I got five hundred pages into it, and I realized it was about a year that I spent in London in between uh, uh, undergrad and graduate school, and I I realized that there was 500 pages of plotlessness oh. just, and, and it wasn't going so very well and it didn't have a lot of direction. And I'd always written songs, but never had any, you know, any ambition to, to, to being much, you know, in the seventies kind of being too intimidated by all those high voiced country rockers that, you know, that we, uh, I liked or something like Steely Dan, whom I'm to this very day, utterly in awe of, you know, you hear that kind of stuff and you go, gosh, I can't play music. I'm not a muso like that. I, I started playing guitar in fourth grade and I still play like a fourth grader. <laughs> I mean, which is in some ways true. I mean, I was pretty good at fourth grade, but I don't know that I really progressed. And then one, one night I went to this place called Oscars and, you know, I was starting to become now that I didn't have the pressure to you know, be a grad student and finish my dissertation. I was done and I was just teaching. So I just, I became a mad collector of records. And that, at that time around 1987, there were three or four really top you know, vinyl shops in, in Santa Barbara. And I knew all the clerks and I'd go in and I'd say, they knew that I liked 4AD and creation and SST stuff. Cause I was really deep into who's Du and some soul asylum and, and the twin tone with the replacements. They knew my tastes and they were always just kind of going, okay, here comes John. We're going to make some money again today. <laughs> first time I'd ever had a grown up, you know, grown up salary. I was a poor graduate student and suddenly you know, they hired me for the obligatory two or three years before they kick you out of the nest. So for the first time in my life, I made you know $45,000, which was a king's ransom. And I got rid of about $40,000 a year on buying records. And so I had place, you know, all the components in part. I played guitar. I'd still written songs. Writing fiction was becoming harder and harder. It was easier to write, write three or four songs by the time I could write one page of prose. You know, 
And then this one night I went to see this band. I'd heard them a little bit on the radio in Santa Barbara, the Lucy show who are very much sort of like they evoke the cure that, that were one of my favorite bands at the time and still are the cure and sort of the Beatles and these Canadians by way of London came and played to about seven or eight people four or five of whom I'm still in touch with. And I was just blown away by these guys. And I thought, gosh, you know, they're pouring their hearts out. They play this jangly, catchy, you know, two harmony um, and twin guitar attack kind of pop. And I want to do the very same thing. I'm so inspired. And the next day I, you know, put out an ad in the penny saver, you know, the recycler kind of yeah. thing and got these two brothers, Tom and Mick Flowers, and they brought along a friend, and we started rehearsing in a garage, and they were, I mean, 15 years younger than me. I was about maybe 12 years younger than me. I was 30 at the time, you know, late bloomer, starting a band at age 30. Most people start when they're 20 or something, but I'd had other things to do. And, you know, we started writing and rehearsing, and we we went into a studio and, in a very naive way, I thought as you know, as soon as we had ten songs, let's go make a record. That's what bands do. They get ten songs yeah, and they yeah. go record them yeah. and try to find a way to put them out and come up with the artwork and make a cassette, you know. So that's there's there's where it all began for Is that the same group that went out on tour with the church and toured the what Sprocket? Is that around that time? Um, well we did we didn't go on tour with those bands, but we did shows with them. We opened okay. for them. At that at that time, Santa Barbara didn't have too many bands. Most cities these days, you know, fill in the blank USA. You've got in Winchester, Virginia. There, Mark, I dare say, you've got a bunch of alternative bands. You know, oh, yeah. who are um, scratching and clawing to to make a mark um, somewhere. So at that at the time, it was pretty easy for us to get. You know, because um, the, the, the 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 ten song. Um, record we made saint valentine which came out first on cassette you know it sounded pretty good and it sounded au courant you know and people who popped it in could go oh you guys you know sound like the aforesaid church or you know like modern english had a big hit with meld with you and yeah and um yeah. we evoked them a little bit too in a in a slightly slightly or you know, slightly more gothic way so yeah now the the band has had a lot of lineup changes throughout the years is that intentional or is it just uh nobody's ever quit mark no, no, I'll say that. no one's i mean i'm sorry no one's ever I, I put that wrong no one's ever been sat and a lot of a lot of times you know people they've gone you know, people i've played would have gone on to you know better and bigger things whether it's you know a, a larger band or a band that they've been happier in or had more made more contributions to or their own did their own stuff um, or whether it's just a happier life of quitting music altogether. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't know. I can't. I I can't keep track of exactly how many you know how many people there have been in the lineup. But you know, there were some steady lineups for five or six years. And there's and like, gosh, the drummer Rick Woodard right now um, that we've had. We realized that he's been playing on and off in the band for twenty years. Wow. And so um, it's just it's it's just what what works and then when people have to go on and do other things or there's falling outs, you know, doubtless there have been oh, those yeah. sorts of things. The pressures of the pressures of great 
and magnificent unsuccess in a commercial fashion, <laughs> if I can put it like that, those those take their you know those take their their inevitable tolls. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, your your output is amazing for and and, and your sense of humor about it is fantastic. I'll, it's well, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing else. There's nothing else to do. I mean, how how utterly inconceivable it would be for me to come off as a person who is a, ra- a ranting, you know, ranting and bitter. I save those for sessions <laughs> with my friends with a mic, you know, rather than you know on the air or in an interview. I just, just you know, and and really that's the true me i'm not necessarily um a person all bands think you too probably think they they could have sold more records and should have sold oh, more yeah. records than they did everybody everybody wishes in some ways you know when you get a royalty check for you know 2762 which i just did the other day <laughs> and you always wish that it was 2875 yes. you know or something <laughs> always you look at the numbers there we go back with math again yeah. math is rarely one's friend oh yeah no kidding now we'll look in a little more math so you've actually been recording since 88 so you're you're averaging like an a release like every two years or so and your albums yeah, aren't like short more. releases they're i mean they're they're not like little short five six song eps i mean they're like 14 15 track albums do you want me to try to account for that or <laughs> no uh, I, you know, do you want an explanation i, I i'm just i wondering. yeah I, I guess maybe because your 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 lyrics and i'm listening to uh to a, a lot of your back catalog over the past couple of days and I mean, it's not like you're writing easy songs. They're, the lyrics are telling stories and it's, you know, it's not, you know, A plus B equals C and, you know, following this typical pop formula. I mean, it, there's actual stories going on in these lyrics. And it's to me, it seems it's amazing that you can put out so much material that's that, of, of that high quality. Well, thank you very much for saying that. That's very kind of you. But I would note that some of the songs are, you know, illusory in the sense that they're 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 really mm, there's some jiggery pokery involved there in the sense that they're they're really I mean you know one of my great heroes of course is John Lennon and he would point to songs like Across the Universe as being gobbledygook and you know in so, some ways said you know so watch out then there's not all, it's not always the case that yes certainly there's some sort of narrative thread for a number of them. Um, because you know, mind you, the that, that it's kind of part and parcel of the other thing that I do, which is write fiction. So, you know, these are, these could be considered, you know, novels in miniature or whatever, in the same way that a painter might paint a little tiny portrait, you know, for a, for a, um, a, a class or something. Do you approach lyrics the same way you approach writing your novels? Well, I try to make them so that they're not. Embarrassing. I have a number. You know, living in Los Angeles as you do, you're going to swing a dead armadillo and find you know a million songwriters around here, and a number of them are my friends. It's very hard for artists, I think, to be friends with each other unless they're at sort of like the same the same sort of level of you know uh, of achieve of achievement or recognition. Um, I, you know, again, back to this whole thing of just I try to stave off any kind of competitiveness or bitterness, but it does seep in. But, you know, I think a lot of my, my friends who also write songs and are pr- very proud of their licks, they're often astonished to find that I don't care really necessarily about lyrics. You know, I, 
I, I, I'm, I just bought the letters of T.S. Eliot the other day for two bucks. And, you know, I'm, I, I read poetry still. I keep that up. I have great passion for it. And, you know, um, I don't consider lyrics poetry. I, I don't think that Bob Dylan, as much as I love him, should have gotten the Nobel for literature. <laughs> the Nobel for lyrics, not literature. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot, of people, a lot of people want to fight me for that one. Well, I'm but not I one of those. I, I would agree I with you on that. I love the Cogto twins. I love the My Bloody Valentine. You can't tell me that, that that's you know poetry at all. It doesn't matter what those people you know are, are saying. As long as the lyrics aren't embarrassing somehow. You know, sometimes when somebody wants me to like a band, like like the National, for instance, to my I've tried and I can't stick them. Once I say no, I'm sorry. I try. I try to be open-minded about them. Everybody else likes them. Can't can't do it. You know, they'll they'll sometimes throw at me. They'll say, but the lyrics, but the lyrics, and then they'll become perhaps even more, you know. Um, indignant that i'll just say i i I couldn't care less about the anybody's lyrics at all mine for sure because i try to make them as poetic as i possibly can inject them with humor try to make them scan you know so that they could be they could read on the page i've been thinking in fact about because there are something like 180 some odd or 280 some odd songs out now in the world then mark of doing a book of lyrics but i never said i'll never do that yeah. <laughs> never say never you know a motif then you know i thought gosh you know maybe i'll maybe i'll do that and see uh, you know I, I started writing out some of them or copying some of them from some lyric sheets then um, you know it's something i might do now who knows well yeah i love i love to make sure that the lyrics are as poetic meaningful pithy and evocative as they possibly can be, but I don't consider it a great art form somehow. Well, and I, going back to your sense of humor, and, and before we hit on your new album, I was listening a lot to Led Zeppelin Five today, and the fact that you titled your album Led Zeppelin Five just absolutely killed me. I loved it. How Thank you very much. Yes, I, I'll take credit for that, although my <laughs> former bandmates Scott and Steve who were here in my little studio flat in Echo Park. Um, they were there when we were kicking around ideas. And once I said Led, Led Zeppelin 5, <laughs> I, mean, I remember everything. I have a, I'm cursed with a really brilliant memory. They both laughed and then later on took credit for it and oh. saying, you know, separately and together they would go, oh, you know, I was the one who came up with that, oh. that title or whatever. <laughs> and of course, you know, again, in our, in our irreverent kind of, you know, waggish sort of way, we'd hoped for a lawsuit from the Le- the Zeppelin Trust. And I think there are quite a, there's quite some evidence of some stoner guys, you know, I'm not going to slag anybody who likes Led Zeppelin. I've got everything they've ever done and the BBC sessions or what have you. Oh, yeah, and, you know, but, you know, here, it, it just we had... Uh, the, the, there's some evidence that there are some pissed off people on the internet who are going, God damn it. I bought this jangle pop record, you know, from these, these nobodies from California that I thought it was that, that Zeppelin had risen from the dead, you know? Yeah. You know, John Bonham, he's not dead. Just like Paul McCartney supposedly is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was us with our tongues, very deep, you know, deep set in our, in our cheeks. But yeah, that was me who came up with that one. Well, that I, I actually, I, all the humorous side in the title, the the music in it is fantastic. I was I listen Thank you to very it. much. Um, weirdly, that's the song that was weirdly just. I just kept going back to that and listening to that over and over again. I love that song. It's not enough to trust to love. 
Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, you're not the first the first person that's. I think I got somebody I dated for about four years who was a songwriter herself. Um, I, th I think that's the one that solidified her her foolish capitulation to my you know blandishments. <laughs> that she, it's funny. She was a pop chick. Um, lo loved loved the Beatles. Loved my buddy Valentine. Loved up tempo stuff. But she she came back to that one all the time and said, you know, that's your best song. It's, so, it's great. The, the I don't know about I don't know about that, but you know she really liked it. And Manny's the person who said, "Gosh, you know that one's that one's really weird." You know, as the title you know bespeaks. That's true. That's true. And so the new album coming out, yeah, uh, Magic Johnson. Are you a big sports fan? You a big basketball fan? I have been. Are you? I yes. I'm well. I'm not a, as big of a basketball fan, but I'm a big, uh, particularly college football fan and baseball fan. Yeah, I'm a. I, I gave about forty years of my life to the Los Angeles Lakers. I, I kind of gave up after the whole Shaq and Kobe kind of thing. Oh, but yeah. yes, I, you know, I played. Uh, I played I played sports as a kid. I quit every single team in prep school. I was on uh, I quit football all four years. Um, I quit as a varsity basketball player. I quit in the middle of a game as a junior as a starting pitcher on the baseball team. Oh my um, god! You know I uh, yeah I had a really 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 bad inning where uh, in the end of the fourth inning or something where I walked a couple batters and then. Um, they started bunting, and I threw the the ball over the first baseman's head. But the the regular first baseman was out sick, and a much shorter guy was there, and so I threw it over that guy's head once and twice. And the sadistic coach, this I wrote, I turned this into the into art in my first novel, um, The King of Good Intentions. There's a long baseball section there, um, where the, the sadistic coach. You know, pulled me out of the game and had me run laps around the field while the game was going on. Oh. And we were, the varsity was playing our arch rivals as well, so the stands were packed. And I think I did one of those laps. It was one of those scatological, uh, scatological, you know, metaphysical epiphanies where you just kind of go, "Wait a minute, I'm I'm not going to do this anymore." <laughs> and I think I did one and a half laps, and I just kind of jogged into the locker room and hung up my cleats. Then, so oh yes, I've, I have a history as being a jock. I still play tennis maybe five days a week. Oh wow! And uh, I love I I loved the Lakers. Um, I've never been a basketball fan. I was a Lakers fan. No more. That's 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 a different era. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I watch sports. I try to minimize that too. You know, realizing when again, when you tally up the amount of hours that you've yelling at a television, you know, for your favorite team or whatever, um, you get to a certain stage, you might get there. I mean, I'm older <laughs> than you. Where you just kind of go, boy, I've done, I've done maybe too much of this. It's time to go out and throw a frisbee around even you know if it's to boomerang it to yourself or what have you so yeah i love magic johnson um and the sort of record is an homage to him in some ways because there's a story that's going around the, the time where i met him uh, about 10 years or so ago okay um, I'll, I'll make it short he was um i was i was at a tennis tournament at ucla and i was with some friends 
and Magic and his wife Cookie and what looks to be their uh, her her in her parents, uh, Magic's in laws, were entering this posh restaurant in Westwood as we were leaving. And I behaved with him as I all do with all celebrities in Los Angeles. I always pretend like I know them, you know, <laughs> them somehow. You know, they're kind of open field, not in a not in a malicious way, you know, somehow. But any time I see someone like Winona Ryder a few weeks ago, I just was going, Winona, how have you been? What's going on? You know, nice <laughs> to see you. But you know, with Magic, I said, Madge. How are you? Come and meet my friends. And he knew he he twigged right away what I was doing. And you know, I'm doubtless I'm not the the first jester to have done this. And you know, he played along. He was laughing. And I introduced him to my friends. And then finally, I said, and his wife, you know, just was looking so exasperated, like you're the seventeenth person and a half has come up to us today to do this. But I did say, I said, Magic, you know, when the announcement was made that you were sick, I didn't say when you had HIV or whatever. When right. you got sick, <laughs> my students. You know, as a writing exercise, write you a get get well letters, and I asked him. You know, we sent him care of the forum, care of the forum, and I said, "Did you ever get those?" And he said, "Man, I'm still answering them." You know, 15 years later or whatever. <laughs> it's really sweet. You know, this outpouring of this outpouring of love and heartbreak. You know, um, and he's still going strong now. So yeah. So that's I just thought, and I th- and of course there's the salacious pun on the record. You know, too. Um, so uh, I thought that would you know, make a nice sort of thing if people wanted to pick up on that. I wasn't about to, you know, put a picture of that that would evoke the Rolling Stones sticky fingers or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> that would have been going a trifle too far. <laughs> but yeah, a little sure. too on the nose. A so, little too on the So now when you created this album, you the the band is made up of Scott Campbell, Andy Crichton, and Rob Campanella. Scott's worked with Acetone, Stevie Nicks, Andy's worked with the World Record, and Rob with the Brian Jonestown Massacre. So, I mean, that that's some pretty major players right there. Well, these guys are all really good friends, and Rob and Scott are not in the band that does live gigs. Okay. Um, but they they played, you know, I just, I thought for this last, the last couple records, I've just done them by myself myself whoever's been lying around um rather than rehearse the band you know um and spend money on a rehearsal studio which is getting spendier and spendier in la all the time it's just in just in the same philosophy that we've always had not to make demos of songs you know but just to go in the studio and record the song and see how it turned out a a measure and a you know a matter of of money so because each of those guys is an engineer and a producer of their own stuff and other people's stuff, I, you know, just thought, gosh, I'll just go in and um, one of us can do the drums and I'll do the bass on this one. You do the bass on that one. I'll play a bunch of guitar. I'm, I, I consider myself, I'm an ex-drummer, so I, 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 do a lot, I do a lot of the percussion. I didn't drum on this record at all, but we, you know, brought in some some friends and did some things with electronics and um it just it was it was a great way to work without having the stress of four guys having rehearsed the songs and try to track them live and that that sort of thing that which we've done so many times in the past and i think we captured something doing that you know we've always maintained that the first time a song really comes together is it never gets better than that and that often happens in rehearsal that's why sometimes i guess bands you know, going right in the studio somehow. 
But, you know, and those guys, Scott, Rob, and Andy are all great friends with great senses of humor and who know my, my style and who like my style and of songwriting and who like me 79% of the time <laughs> or more, you know? So, I mean, we're really good friends. You know, you hang out long enough in a town like Los Angeles where there are lots and lots of skilled engineers and producers. You know, these are people that I've worked with over the years on and off, you know, except for Scott Campbell has probably done 10 of our, you know, record. He's produced 10 oh, of our records. He's just a, he's a great, just great friends too. I mean, I wouldn't, I, I think it would be strange for me now at this stage, having worked with so many people who are close friends to work with just a total stranger. Although again, you know, never say never, it might be a really good thing for me to do for the next record. If there is one, you know, to work with somebody who's not got that familiarity. So just, you know, again, as an, an experiential experimental way. Now, did you write all the songs on the album yourself? Yeah. Yeah, there've only in the course of you know seventeen records, there've only been two or three songs that were written by me. They were written by you know a bandmate at the time. Okay, you you gave the guys a lot of freedom as far as interpreting the songs. Is that something that's a little different this time around? Yes, I think so. I think I think that um, so I think that that was um, that was occasioned by. Um, Again, a desire to not to not repeat myself, to try to do something different to, to what I'd done before. Not to say that I've been some Machiavelli, you know, super super controlling. Although you ask some of my you know former bandmates, they might say, "Oh my God, what a control freak!" <laughs> and I might consider myself something of a recovering control freak in other areas of you know my life or whatever. But yeah, it was it was kind of thrilling to just go. I mean, and they, each of those guys who's, you know, a very accomplished musician and, you know, two of whom um, really are, are, are pretty dedicated writers uh, and have had their own bands and stuff, um, that they really welcomed that idea as well. I mean, it made it very exciting for me to go, oh, gosh, you come up with this idea and let me layer this on top of it or let's pare that away and have it segue into something else. And or I just sat back. There's one. There were one or two songs uh, on something that we just finished as a follow-up to Magic Johnson called "Brilliant Failures," which we hope to have out later this year. Oh, awesome. um, I didn't. I played some guitar, and that's it. I sang and I played guitar, and that's it. The rest of it was, you know, maybe one track of guitar, and the rest of it was either Rob or Andy or you know or Scott. Oh wow! So did they come up with a lot of different uh, ideas that maybe you? wouldn't have come up with is there, was well, there a lot in the album sometimes they're sometimes they're melodic ideas for things i'm the most rudimentary keyboard player but i'm mad you know i'm mad for uh, mellotron sounds you know the fluty mellotron strawberry fields kind of thing yeah. and so mm -hmm. i can plink some things out and each of those guys is a much better keyboard player than i am um so sometimes i just hum something and they'd embellish it or sometimes they'd say, "Hey John, why don't you go down to you know go down to the pub or to the, the you know uh, cafe or whatever and um, disappear for a couple hours and let me let leave me alone with this song?" And I was you know happy to, <laughs> happy to do that both in the sense of you know there's a great amount of trust that I have for each of those guys as well. You know, it's a rare it'd be a rarity that they'd ever come up with something where I'd go, "No, that." That's not going to work. Somehow it all magically worked, you know, in part because of that, you know, familiarity and longevity of having worked with each of them before. 
Well, I'll tell you what, uh, reviewing some of the songs here, I listened to it again uh, on the way home today and at, the, and at the end of my job, and I'm fascinated by a couple of songs, like Upsy Daisy. There's like four different genres of music in that, in that one song. Is that a bad thing, Mark? Are you are you saying are you calling me out? Are you no, telling no. me to make up my? Are you oh. saying make up your mind already? Uh, you know, pick no. a genre, any genre. Quite the opposite. I'm thinking it's. I don't know how you managed to take four sounds, completely different sounds, and make it one cohesive, really cool song. I mean, in, all right. No. So it, I, I hear some rock. I hear pop. I hear like disco and some psychedelia in there. It's just, it's really cool. Um, the well, thank you. I mean, that's. I mean, I think only really careful listeners are going to. There, there are a couple other songs in the canon, the Blackwatch canon, um, that are sort of like that. But I think it takes a kind of an astute listener. I mean, kudos to you for having, to, you know, divined that. Oh, thank um, you. Somehow, it takes a little patience, you know, because it does throw people for a loop. Going, wow, you guys are supposed to be this guitar-y jangle band, and here's this almost, you know, this. A, a funky disco we kind of beat um, amidst you know like you said there's total psychedelic you know elements in there oh right? yeah and some straightforward rock in there too and it's just yeah right it, yeah it was it's it was a really fun song to listen to it was it was great um i absolutely love the ending of knowing it won't come again uh let's see but i think my favorite track on the album is darling I love it. It's so, oh well, that's the one without drums. Yeah, it's yeah. very simple, but very dreamy, and it. But it, I, it, it just, it's very, it, it's a very beautiful song. I, I really, really Thank enjoyed you. listening to it. Thank you very much. Uh, and I think that song was a reaction, just as each record is a reaction against um, the one that precedes it. Just, just as though if you go back and listen to Witches, the record that came out, the you know last year before before Magic Johnson. You know, this is a much more rock and uh, um, pop kind of thing as opposed to the quiet danciness of that record. So right. each record is a kind of an answer, so to speak, um, to the one that came before it. So is each song almost an answer to a, a previous song. So, you know, uh, if, if, you, if you juxtapose something like uh, Upsy Daisy and, and Darling, you kind of go, okay, wow, this is almost... You know, the band said, you know, we did this amalgamation of, you know, blender, a blender approach to four, four different genres. Here's just a dream. Here's, you know, here's something that's just meant to be, you know, not, not for you to dance in your sleep. You yeah. know, <laughs> somehow, if I could put it like that. I'm re I really enjoy listening to the album. I've listened to it several times. It's got a great, like, Southern California feel to it. Especially songs like Oh You Little Witch, Jingle Jangle, Loop to Loop. It's just it that's to me, that's what not having been to California, but having a bunch of friends out there, that's that's what California sounds like in my head. 
Well, that's again a very nice thing to say because that's sort of when we were when we were talking to the publicist Robert Vickers, our publicist, about how to how to sell this record, you know, uh, metaphorically and literally. Right. You know, he said, you know, can you come up with a tagline for this? You can come up with some pithy, witty thing to say. And I said, well, you could call it a quintessential, a, a quintessential, because it certainly can't be the quintessential record. Otherwise, it would be by Love or The Doors yeah. or The Birds <laughs> or whatever, right? It would be The Notorious Birds Brothers. Right. We're not claiming that we're as good as The Notorious Birds Bird, Brothers, which is one of my all-time favorite records. But I thought, you know, it is a, a quintessential not the, but a quintessential Los Angeles record because it, you know, we can't help. There's something in the water here, you know, that can't, you know, you can't help but be influenced. If you do like, you know, melodic and trippy stuff, you can't help but be influenced by your hero's love and the birds and all of that. Well, it, mission accomplished because it's got a great sound to it. And uh, you've got a great vintage sound and you've been playing for, you know, over 30 years. Do you still use vintage equipment? Yeah. I mean, I have an embarrassing amount of guitars, you know, many of many of which are from the 60s. I own a, uh, a Czech, a, 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 a Gibson ES-335 oh, from 1969 that, um, that belonged to Donny Osmond. I bought it off this guy who was in Donny's band who lived in Santa Barbara um, oh, wow. in 1987, actually, for $400. This is and I rarely play it, um, you know, out in the studio. I use it quite a bit. But yes, there's a, you know, you can see there's a, there's a, a 668 Dan Electro 12 string right oh, there. And there's two, two little Vox amps from way back when. And I play through a Vox amp live. So yes, we've got, we've got a lot of, we got a lot of vintage equipment somehow. Has the change in technology with recording and all helped you guys out? I know back when you started off, you know, you've, you've seemed to be a, a DIY kind of guy uh, as far as getting the bands together, recording and re even maybe even releasing is the kind of proliferation of home recording and, and, and crowdfunding and all has it helped you guys out with we've done a little bit of crowdfunding a label we were on called pop culture press one run by a wonderful friend of mine luann williams in, uh, in austin texas she did a crowdfunding thing i'm not comfortable with that myself um but we've never made a home recording but a lot of people have studios in you know smaller spaces or unofficial spaces uh, where, where we we worked and that that hasn't seemed to matter you know, it's run the spectrum of where we've 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 recorded in studios where, you know, Fleetwood Mac worked, and we've also you know we made the EP that's at the end of Magic Johnson, the Paper Boats EP. But we made that in Andy's shed behind his house. <laughs> so it doesn't. It's never really mattered to us where we worked, just so long as we got good sounds and you know we were feeling productive and. Um, we had we had ideas and we had you know my songs obviously you know so I'm the principal ego. There's the the, the new album. There's um, you're actually selling the your entire back catalog on a drive. Right. I've I've never seen anybody do that. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, that was Scott Kinnison who runs Adam Records, the label we were on for Witches and for all of this this onslaught of TBW stuff coming out. And when I was in Dayton, Ohio, where he's from doing an acoustic show and having a meeting with Scott. He's the one, you know, he's got a marketing background and a radio background. 
and he's just a great guy. We'll love him to pieces. He's the best. And he's an idea guy. And he said, look, John, you know, I turned in the Magic Johnson record. And he said, you know, if we put this out, you're just going to cull the same amount of accolades from the same writers that have written about you for years now. Why don't we make a bigger splash by releasing the new record, a best of of my choosing? And I thought, wow, you know, the burden of having to choose songs like, thank you for doing that rather than putting the onus on me to do that. That was great that he did that. And he came up with some very left field, weird choices that I'd never even think of, which is very flattering to think, you know, wow, I'd never think of that song as one of my best songs, but somebody did. And, you know, they're all beautifully packaged. And then he convinced me to do the early vinyl stuff that had never come out on CD that I'd sort of sworn off and, you know, been sort of like, okay, I'm a little bit, you know, a, tr- a trifle mortified by just thinking in terms of so long ago, we didn't know what we were doing. We felt, felt we should grow up in public. You know, um, certainly we, we, we'd almost sometimes plugged guitars directly into the board, not even using an amp to get the thinnest sound possible for a, <laughs> Okay, if you want to put that stuff out and, you know, to the very specialized people who might be really happy who liked the vinyl stuff, there you know, I encounter people sometimes who go like, wow, I really, I like you, but I really like your early stuff when you guys were rubbish and, yeah. you know, <laughs> jangly and naive. Like, okay, good for you. I guess I know what you like. And there's some charm, you know, there's a lot of charm to that. But then, you know, Scott said, okay, let's do, let's do a best of Magic Johnson, the early vinyl stuff, and then... Uh, a sort of a booklet with a USB stick for the super non-Luddite types like me who can barely check their email. He said, let's let's make it available that every somebody can have the entire works of someone. And I think that's a nice notion and or a good marketing thing too because sometimes people will go, you know, I went to Amoeba Records, the giant store in Hollywood, and I looked in your used section, and they had four or five records of yours, and I didn't know where to start, so I didn't buy one of a, a one of them. Oh. So you know, I go, wow, that's really terrible. Why don't you just <laughs> close your eyes and pick one? Yeah, you know, come on. You know, throw, throw a dart against one, you know, <laughs> pin, the t- pin the tail on the, the Blackwatch record. <laughs> but they ended up doing the, have a kind of paralysis. I mean, you could think of somebody looking at Guided by Voices for the first time, you know, having heard a song on college radio or on, on, you know, on YouTube and just going, you know, how daunting that would be, you know, think you'd be daunted and daunted by our 17 records, you know, think of how, what kind of a crisis somebody would have over Guided by Voices. So, I mean, this makes it nice and easy for, I can't remember what the price is, but it's pretty darn affordable. Of course, the artist is going to say that. <laughs> That's a real bargain to get everything I've ever thought of doing, you know, etc. So I was just, you know, we'll see if it works. But so far, the, the response has been great. Um, for the writers and um, DJs who've gotten the song and gotten the story. And I think it is a kind of a complex story. It does take a person not to flatter you over much, but you're great. You know, um, to, it takes a person of some perspicacity, you know, pop perspicacity to, to, to see these things like how Upsy Daisy's got four different directions pulled in one or how interesting or how brilliant it could be to just go, here it all is. You can have the box set without the box. Yeah. And, you know, nowadays with uh, the proliferation of, uh, of USB ports in your cars, and even you can just plug that right in your car and yeah, I take suppose. a drive. I mean, somebody could drive across the country yeah. and just have, have have me be the soundtrack to their nightmares all, all the way. Hey, the Black Watch uh, Road Trip. There you go. Wow. So, 
You, you guys haven't seen any uh, any positive repercussions of, of your name with the uh, Game of Thrones being so popular, have you? No. What does what does that what does that have to do with the oh, Game of Thrones? Oh man, there's a uh, there's a whole area in Game of Thrones in the north where they're they're on the the watch and they all wear the black and that's so they're all they're guarding the rest of the kingdoms against the uh, zombies that are coming down from the north and they're all they the guys wear the are black they called and, the black watch uh i no they're called it's called the watch but they all have to wear the black and so it's usually they're they're kind of grouped together in the, within the show where they they oh yeah i have to take the black and go on the watch and so they'll they kind of get grouped together so and then nobody's nobody's made that connection. You know, there's going to be a wave of that. See, yes, you're 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 the avant-garde in these, that one, Mark. You're way ahead of the curve. Well, I've the, not seen the show. I'm all not, the nice I've things seen, you said to me, I've I just blew it out the snippets. window. I've seen I've seen some of the naughty bits. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I've not seen the show. No. Oh man. Well, then maybe you did, and you just don't know about it yet. So there you go. Where so where can everybody find the new the releases that are coming out? Where where can they find it at yeah. WW? Uh, w.atomrecords.com and you know the usual outlets you know, we've got a really really good um, distribution company in Australia and um, here that's a subsidiary of uh, uh, one that's called MGM the Groove Mer- Merchants in Australia and um, who, who sell to Warner Brothers so we've got it'll, it'll be in stores everywhere for the first time maybe in our career we'll have really really terrific distribution so that's great is there uh, are there social media accounts that people can follow and, and keep track of what you Yes, doing? you can go to facebook.com, the Blackwatch Music, and my website, which I don't keep up on, but you can learn more than perhaps you want to know. Um, <laughs> and see some of my paintings as well um, at johnandrewfrederick.com. Awesome. And thank you so much for spending your time. I've, I've kept you for almost an hour tonight, man. Thank you so much for taking so much time. Oh, it's a pleasure, day. Mark. You know, it's always great to talk to somebody who knows knows his or her stuff, you know, really, thank you very much. I mean, it's, you know, I always maintain and I'm not being too obsequious. I don't, I hope, you know, it's, uh, that we're all in this together and it's, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of writers and interviewers um, themselves, you know, especially if they, you know, have, have taken um, the time and, you know, had enough interest to delve deeply into what we do, because I don't think it's the kind of thing where you can really just be a casual um, sort of, sort of dabbler. Know, or dilettante when it comes to, to our, you've got to give yourself to the music. You've got to dedicate and devote lots of hours. Well, not that many. It should just be a, it should just be a pleasure where, you know, we're here to make people laugh and dance and, you know, cry sometimes too, because of the songs are sometimes rather melancholy. Well, it's, it's been a fantastic journey for me to get to know your music. Uh, I am definitely not somebody who dabbles. You can, uh, my wife will tell you, yeah, yeah. I dive in and when You're I a regular it, boffin, Mark, way yeah. to go. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I'm on the side of the boffins. I'm one of them. I'm one of them too. I'm such a music and literature nerd, you know, I just, I once I fall in love, I, I found this band from Leeds the other day um, called Hood that I uh, did some stuff in the early aughts. And they're amazing. And now, of course, you know, once I got one record, I have to have, or the No Twist, you know, the German band, I've got to have every, sing, every single thing they do. They're That's amazing. Me. I can't believe I've lived this long without them in my life. <laughs> <laughs> People often That's do, me. you know, think because I have such strong opinions. And when I really loathe the band, 
I, you know, I'm pretty vociferous about it, but when I love something, boy, I'm just, you know, stopping people on the street going like, have you heard hood? You've got to check them out. So there you go. That's, that's exactly what I've been. In fact, I've been doing that with, with you this past week. I've been uh, reaching out to some of my other, actually other guests that I've had on the show, like Scott McDonald from the meeting places. Hey, have you heard the black watch? I'm having a, a giant Frederick on, uh, let me know if you've heard him. Cause you know, if you have any questions for him, I'll be glad to ask. Oh, that's funny. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.